You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Anonymous calls for action against U.S. and Israeli government sites. FireEye reports a significant attack against an industrial plant, possibly involving nation-state reconnaissance. A lot of Internet traffic was briefly rerouted through Russia yesterday, possibly deliberately for unclear reasons. There's some TV troubles, and if toys are getting too connected, consider a puppy. It's interactive. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 14th, 2017. Anonymous is unhappy with the U.S. decision to move its embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The hacktivist collective has called for worldwide unremitting attacks on Israeli and U.S. government sites. Nothing so far. Anonymous has had indifferent success in the past with its op Israel, but of course such threats bear watching. Security company FireEye reports a significant attack on an unnamed industrial plant. Reuters, quoting ICS security experts at Dragos, calls it a watershed event. The attacker hit Triconex industrial safety technology supplied by Schneider. Triconex is widely used in the energy sector, including oil and gas, and nuclear power generation. Dragos says the affected plant was in the Middle East. Industrial security firm CyberX is more specific saying the plant is in Saudi Arabia. FireEye suggests there's evidence the attackers were working on behalf of a nation-state, which one is not specified. Its researchers think the attack may have been reconnaissance gone awry. The hackers appear to have inadvertently tripped safety systems into fail-safe mode, thereby shutting down plant operations. It's good the systems failed safely, as intended, but the possible implications of the reconnaissance are disturbing, since it seems to have been aimed at learning how to disenable safety systems during an attack. Graceful degradation under attack is, of course, far better than catastrophe, and a catastrophic attack against such industrial control systems has catastrophic potential indeed. The Bitfinex cryptocurrency exchange is back and in operation, having recovered from this week's distributed denial-of-service attack. Speculative interest in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is rising, The principal German stock exchange is considering opening trading in Bitcoin futures, for example, so Frankfurt could join Chicago in serving this market, and with such trading interest, criminal interest rises proportionately. Yesterday, traffic to and from some very large companies was briefly routed through what Ars Technica calls a hitherto unknown ISP in Russia. The companies whose traffic was affected include Microsoft, Google, Facebook, Apple, Twitch, NTT Communications, and Riot Games. This doesn't appear to have been an ordinary border gateway protocol error, that's BGP. Monitoring services, including BGP Mon, think it may have been intentional. The cherry-picking of targeted companies strikes observers as odd, and so does the fact that, as Ars Technica puts it, 
The hijacked IP addresses were broken up into smaller, more specific blocks than those announced by affected companies, an indication the rerouting was intentional. The Russian autonomous system AS39523 was the apparent cause of the redirections. It added BGP table entries, saying in effect it was the proper origin of the 80 or so prefixes affected. Why the redirection was done is unclear, but observers note it as another instance in which a system designed for parties who trust one another falls short in the Internet as it exists today. With the holidays approaching here in the U.S., financial institutions and nonprofits alike are working overtime to prevent fraud, abuse, and even money laundering. These days, they're turning to artificial intelligence to help root out anomalous transactions and cut down on false positives, all while staying compliant. FICO is one of a host of companies who provide these sorts of services, in their case with their Tonbeller Siren suite of tools. We spoke with Torsten Meyer, Vice President of Risk and Compliance Solutions for FICO. Artificial intelligence is a very uh, proper tool in order to enlighten the dark spaces in, in, in your customer base. So, for instance, in the past, uh, banks uh, used to use uh, rules, uh, rules uh, which described uh, known behavior. On the other hand side, in now and even more in future, uh, artificial intelligence will uh, help to detect by using self-learning algorithms unknown, unexpected behavior. So artificial intelligence will help a lot to uncover so far unknown criminal behavior and methodologies. And that's what what banks like to, to have, not to only rely on, on, on rules, but use artificial intelligence, uh, self-learning algorithms to detect the unknown. That's one part. And maybe uh, for the for the larger institutions, even more important uh, to reduce the number of false positives. You know, the financial industry is certainly uh, heavily regulated. Are there any specific challenges with integrating artificial intelligence into an environment that has uh, so many rules of its own? Um, so so far, we use analytics in addition to to rules. Um, the the simple reason why we do that is that typically regulators um, are not ready to to accept artificial intelligence based systems only. Technology and and, and, and uh, sophisticated applications, maybe it's it's fifty to sixty percent of what a, a financial institution needs to do in order to to be compliant. They need to have internal procedures in place. The top management needs to to see the importance of of being compliant in order to to protect at least reputation. The most valuable good they have to protect is their reputation. That's Torsten Meyer from FICO. Some TVs are found vulnerable. First, Tripwire researchers have determined that many Android set-top boxes run old and insecure versions of the operating system, opening them to exploitation by attackers. The company's Vert researchers say they were able to use an approach similar to the Weeping Angel exploit WikiLeaks dumped from its Vault 7 earlier this year. They were able to take control of the device's integrated camera and microphone. Unlike Weeping Angel, introduced via a USB drive, Tripwire's proof-of-concept didn't require physical access to the device. Cracking a Wi-Fi password would do the trick. Second, Trend Micro has disclosed that the Linksys WVBRO-25, 
The wireless video bridge DirecTV's parent AT&T provides customers is susceptible to remote code execution. Trend Micro disclosed the issue to Linksys six months ago. They're going public with it because, they say, Linksys has both failed to fix the problem and ceased talking with the researchers who found it. Belkin, which manufactures the Linksys devices, says it furnished a firmware patch to DirecTV. The holiday season inevitably brings with it worries about oversharing over-connected toys. French authorities have already said non to Bluetooth-connected doll Kayla. It's too chatty, too open to interaction with people you'd rather not have the children hearing from or being heard by. So there's much advice out there about how to keep the holidays more private. It's easy to find, but could we offer a suggestion? How about a puppy? They're very interactive, and ours have never tried to collect any credentials. Just snacks. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Joining me once again is Dale Drew. He's the chief security strategist at CenturyLink. Dale, uh, welcome back. You know, I, I think a lot of us look towards stability and we want to be able to measure ourselves against standards and so forth. And and there are plenty of standards in this industry, but you want to make the point today that maybe standards aren't the thing that we need to look for for security. Yeah, I think I think the tagline for certifications is the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? I mean, the nice thing about certifications is it provides sort of a toolkit for people 
uh, to set sort of standard expectations for how an ecosystem or data sets are going to be protected, right? And so it's supposed to provide some degree of comfort uh, for people who are familiar with that standard uh, when they're evaluating doing business with uh, a partner or a vendor or something like that. So that's that's the good about standards. I think the bad about standards is is that everyone largely agrees two things. One, we have too many standards. Every industry has got their own representation of standards, whether it's the financial community, the manufacturing community. Uh, everyone has their own set of security standards, and each one of those has sort of their own uh, obligations associated with it. And the other thing is that Having an infrastructure that is certified doesn't necessarily make that infrastructure secure. The biggest concern is that we're seeing people sort of play games with the scoping statement of a standard so that they can say a certain thing has been certified as being a standard and people take a look at that sort of uh, overall statement. But they're not digging into the details about what actually is in scope, what systems are in scope and what controls are in scope. Because a lot of standards basically allow you to say, I'm going to say how I'm protecting something and I'm going to prove I'm protecting it. Uh, they don't typically say, this is what you should be protecting. There's an example that we have of a single server uh, within our network uh, that serves a number of products. And so we have different customers in different industries who are interested in the security of that uh, that server. So we have no less than four certifications on that uh, that single server. Uh, that server is audited about five times a year, independent third-party auditors audited by us and our internal audit organization. We have 600 pages of documentation around how we are protecting that poor uh, server. <laughs> <laughs> and the, and th- that, that information has to be updated every, uh, every year, right? We have a, a, a very Herculean effort associated with managing the, the uh, audit resources, working on findings, um, updating the documentation um, and providing uh, that the, the sort of accreditation packages to all the auditors every year. We spend more time maintaining the certification of that server than we do protecting it. If we look at the amount of investment we have uh, from a security perspective protecting that server, you know, and, and you equate that to a dollar, you know, I'm spending seventy-five cents certifying the server, and I'm spending twenty-five cents protecting that server. That, to me, is sort of upside down. And so we're advocating, we're, we're advocating something along the lines of a single international security standard, like um, you know, the one that is sort of prominent is uh, ISO 27001. And I know I'm going to get you know, skewered for mentioning a standard because everyone has an opinion on what standard that, uh, that they believe uh, <laughs> is the best. But we, but we have to start somewhere. Um, and so you know, I really like the idea of like an open source uh, standard, right? So imagine an open source concept uh, policy standard where the industry can concentrate policy and risk assessments uh, to keep that policy uh, up to date. Imagine uh, that it, it could allow for different certification levels, you know, the, your bronze, uh, silver, gold sort of standard, you know, by implementing tested and mature sort of uh, ratings. Um, imagine that you could have uh, security tools built specifically to audit the measures in that standard that could work across each of the industries. And then, you know, imagine things like devices could be programmed to log 
information that's formatted specifically for those policy events. And so instead of just free formatted log data, I could now start directing my vendors to generate log information and audit information that sort of denotes the policy violation that that log uh, message represents. And then, you know, we'd, we'd have a common language across the industry on training, education, certification, security vendors, all focused on the uh, sort of open source standard around a single policy. And I think that's really what we need. We need the ability of sort of consolidating the ability for the industry to focus on one way of protecting our infrastructure so we can all get around that common methodology. Dale Drew, thanks for joining us. And that's the CyberWire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.